Ceramics. That's what you do. That is what I do. Mm -hmm. What's your name? I'm Brian Chambers. Hey, Brian. (laughs) So you um, work with clay then? Mostly clay in my history. I've done a lot of clay from, let's see, I guess I started when I was 16. So I started in like a very traditional pottery background. So. Yeah. And then you went to art school, of course. And then I went to art school and got confused. Started making paintings, you know. Isn't that what everyone does? They go to art school to get confused. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I made paintings and then I, uh, I kind of put down ceramics for a lot for like a number of years. Um, but now I am in a position where I'm getting back into ceramics in a big way. So I'm starting to like really investigate glazes. Um, yeah. And like try to utilize forms that can, you know, emphasize such glazes and just develop a, I don't know, stronger relationship with those things. Well, because when we met... We obviously introduce ourselves, and then you talk to me about glazing, and I realized I had not really ever thought about glazing. So, am I right now? The ceramic is one thing, and then you put glaze, so that's a layer on top to make sure that like water won't sip through, and you need to heat the glazing up for it to become what it is. This is all true. Um, yeah, and then there are so many different ways, of course, that you can make this glaze. Yes. 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 So, I mean, the basic thing of a glaze is that it's just, it's a, it's a, it's pretty much a glass, right? You're, you're, you're putting this like, when you apply a glaze to a to a bisqued piece of ceramic, it is, it's almost like a wash that you're putting on that is like a just a silica with a flux and some clay, and depending on what those three elements are, you can kind of shift what temperature it's going to melt at. So, yeah, depending on what you're doing, you can do low fire, you can do high fire, but yeah, the the glaze is just just a glass pretty much that's going to melt onto the surface of the clay. And so traditionally, how would you do this? Traditionally. Um As in when did we start to use glaze? Do we know? Well, I think so in a lot of like Chinese pottery that like they're the first ones to do like high fire. Um, high fire like stoneware and like high fire porcelain I think um, and then I'm not sure because like we've I think like as a civilization like we have used ceramics for like thousands of years um, but yeah for like that functional purpose of like going high fire where then you can use it as like dinnerware and it being sort of completely vitrified I think that's that's in the last like thousand plus years yeah, because it's interesting because if we did not know how to do that, our life would be, be completely different. This is, this is a very, very important vessel. This is true, yeah. Learning that these things can vitrify at a certain point, yeah. And most of it's like, it's very, ge- I feel like you you would probably say it's very geographical. So certain areas like developed a kind of glaze because of where they were. They had these, you know, the, these materials available. So then, you know, you'd end up getting like certain colors and... and And I guess surfaces because of that. And what's the situation today in the US? Would you have factories making glaze and then you order things from different places? Yeah, that's like the history of, I think people were making, I think like commercial ceramics has been around at least since like the 50s. I think you can read back and and see that there was like little old ladies like using sort of more crafty type, you know, glazes to put just like paint on their pots. 
Um, and that's been done for a while and like people still use all that. And of course that is expanded tremendously. So a lot of these glazes are really beautiful and, and can be sort of, you know, unique with quotes around it. But, um, yeah, depending on how you use these together, you can still get some really great combinations. Yeah. Because you've been researching this a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to know more about that because I think this is interesting because on the one part we have you as an artist, you want to create something, of course. You want things to look in a specific way, uh, but then you have to test things, I would imagine. That is the testing part, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's... And how do you log this testing? Um, I, I assumed people have different strategies for logging testing, but, you know, I... Let's see. What's a good way to start? I think I think most of the time, if you're researching a glaze, like I think lately for me, I've been like trying to do a lot of these like lava crater glazes. Um, and there's like a few different like mechanisms that sort of create this kind of surface. So like, you, I guess, you know, I, I've started out with, you can start out with sil- silicon carbide or something, you know, just like a base element. And then, and then you go from there and you like develop a base from that thing. So usually it's going to be like one to 5% of silicon carbide. And then it's probably going to bubble at a certain temperature. And you just try to like sort of balance, you know, where, where it's going to melt, like how big the bubbles are going to be, you know, what kind of like surface, like texture, color, you, you know, you want. So all those things. Um, and then you just like, you get a test. And then you just kind of branch out from there. So you can just like have this sort of like this like kind of a tree of sorts and it just like keeps going. You get results and you make more tests. You get more results and you have more tests. So it's kind of an infinite process. How much time does it take? Too much. Too much time. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I think that was like, that's sort of like the issue. I always like think back or like look back to the, uh, do you know Gertrude and, and Odo Natzler? Nope. They were putters that came out um, from Austria, I believe, but they like resided in LA. And so Gertrude would make uh, would make the forms of the ceramics, and then Odo would, was like the glaze the glaze technician. Um, and they were like you know a married couple, and like that's what they did for years, and they survived by making pottery. But um, I think like it, it was kind of like a great partnership because these are these really are two very time consuming processes. So, um, and they were actually one of the first to like, you know, start these sort of like lava ass crater glazes. Um, and then it, I think some, I, cause I think he was actually doing research at it, like, or like making glazes in possibly Germany before he moved to LA. And then, cause like, it's a huge like design movement, like the, the lava glaze in the sixties and seventies in Germany and kind of flooded everywhere. But they were the ones that kind of started that. So would you say that there is a specific way in which we make or that ceramics are being made in california at the time do we see a a trend in I kind of glazes could, people use yeah um i don't think there were many people doing what they were doing at the time at least probably in california you know i think that that's like at the mid-century modern mm. you know so i think yeah, you could this- you could probably say that like, like, like shapes are more similar yeah you know you know for these like design mm-hmm. sort of craftspeople. Um, and maybe that's like where they differed because they had, they actually had this like glazing component that people hadn't like really experienced before. You 
put a lot of research into the glaze then of course so how how, how does it how do how do you do that how do you start you you make a form and then you apply the glaze that must be how you do it um if you're talking about my own yes i'm talking about your own work now. my own work now um yeah well my own work it's a little confusing because i start with a, a a ceramic coffee mug yeah and then i make a form to support said coffee mug and then i think about the sort of like the color texture sort of glazing component um but i mean you know glazing is something you kind of have this like library of glazes and then you can kind of like try to pick and choose right if you have like you know a palette of paint you can sort of do the same thing except for i'm trying to do with glazing that's very interesting. I never. I, I thought you would have done it in like the other way around. To be honest, no. The first th- right now, at least, the first thing is is totally um, the the mug. And this, the mug. Pre- where do you find the mug? I find the mugs at thrift shops. Yeah. So I go around and find these, you know, kitschy business professional mugs with you know terrible slogans and whatever else. Is it difficult to make a white mug in in a factory? Oh, the commercial mugs. Um, yeah, there's a. There, it's like a, it's just a whole process that's sort of probably pretty foreign to most studio potters or just artists in general. Um, so yeah, it gets very technical. So if you know the technicalities of it, sure you can do it. Can most people do it? Probably not. Ah, oh, so you find that object that is very controlled. Or has been made in a very, very controlled sterile. manner, very sterile. It's called sanitary wear because it is so sterile. And you take that object that has been used at one point, but now you find it in the secondary market, in a shop. In a thrift shop, and then it becomes, then it finds, hopefully, finds a different market on my own object. Yeah. You take it back to the studio, and that's where you start working with it. When yeah, did you I, show there's not much I There's not much I actually work on the mugs themselves, but yeah. You know, that's right. The mug stays as it is. Yeah, they're actually very functional, like on my objects themselves. So they, you can fully use it in your kitchen if you would like. That's right. You could. Would you like for people to do that? <laughs> um, I, I actually think it would be great, but no one's going to. It it would be insane that someone would use this like four foot mug holder, three foot mug holder, you know, for this like cheap, kitschy, you know, ceramic mug mug that was purchased at a thrift store. I love the idea, though. Yeah, I think that would be fun. Have you? They're great coffee table pieces. <laughs> Definitely, it's a good conversational piece to have in the middle. Um, so, where did you show these? Um, I, I briefly showed them at this space called Fort Abias. Mm. Yeah, a small garage space that I actually think might no longer be, but you know, things change and develop and become other things. Super interesting. So, do you have a show coming up? I don't have a show coming up. No? Yeah. It's been mostly just studio work right now. Mm. But but yeah, I, yeah, I think right now in terms of glazing, I've mostly been focusing on trying to get different uh, different sort of lava-esque surfaces and trying to be able to work with... Because uh, the, all these glazes, you actually, the lava glazes actually have pretty much two glazes. There's a base and then there's like a surface glaze. And depending on how those interact... You get different, different pinholes, different bubbles, different sizes. You know, more glue, less glue, metallic. You know, all sorts of things. And how, what is that like when you sort of open the oven and you have a look? Because you never ever know, do you? Yeah. Y- yes and no. 
it's like you know you, you try to make educated guesses and sometimes those turn out to be just god awful and you're like wait this actually did nothing that i wanted and expected and then the next time you're like oh it's it did exactly what i thought and that's you know those are the those are the moments that you're like oh yeah i'm actually doing something that i know how to do because i feel like when you start doing this whole this whole like technical side of like glazing it's a very um unknown process and you're like wait do i actually know how to do this i'm putting these like elements together that just from the periodic table and it's like and it like takes a while for you i feel like to be comfortable within this like realm of decision making i mean physically how 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 does it work like do you have all these powders i guess sometimes yeah you have a lot of like um oxides um you have i mean you can have even like nitrates of like different elements but like say like and then also i think most people probably use like you're going to have a, a, a clay which has alumina in it which is very refractory so that's going to increase the temperature at which something melts um you're going to have a flux and there's different kinds of fluxes you can have uh you know you know lithium's a flux uh, boron's a flux soda's a flux you know there's like all these different and that's going to help a glass melt and then you're going to have a silica um silica is the glass so you need these three things to actually form to form the glaze and um you have feldspars mm -hmm. feldspars are natural natural deposits in earth that are mined and are pretty much premixed glazes you know they all have different temperature you know melting points but um and then you have the other side of that is you have frits a frit is this is becoming so so ceramic techie um frits are uh pretty much it's like a man-made feldspar so it's going to be a mix of materials that are pre-fired so a lot of the contaminants are burned away so that's not going to off gas into firing and they're ground up into a powder so depending on what you want to use your you know to, for your glaze you you know use all these elements put them together there's colorants there's stains you know all these things amazing so do you have are you working on something specific right now as in are you trying something a new a color or a texture or anything well um i mean i guess there's like multiple things like i said i was like been doing a lot of like the sort of crater glazes and stuff but i've also done over the last um i guess seven months i've also been doing a lot of luster glazes so that's a whole different you know specialty you know in in ceramic glazing that actually yeah that's a whole a whole world in itself in terms of like even sort of maybe like the kitschy and sort of like you know just like craft object world too yeah just trying to develop you know more 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 luster glazes in a way because like luster glazes use like a lot of silvers um you know coppers and bismuth you know to have like iridescent surfaces um and I, i i don't fully know how to utilize those in my own work quite yet but i will at some point so i've just been kind of exploring i mean i can also mention like the way i started doing the luster stuff was from this this woman beatrice wood she i think is often termed the mother of dada she knew a lot of like the you know the earlier 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 dada artists and then all of a sudden she just moved out to ojai and she just started doing pottery so she was in this like you know the avant-garde art circle in new york and then just you know fleed that fleed that life and moved out into the middle of 
no, kind of nowhere, I feel like at the point, you know, in Ojai and just started doing ceramics and then developed actually luster firing. Because luster firing is a very, I think, historical process in ceramics where there's reduction that takes place at a very low temperature and it creates these like metallic ox- oxides that, you know, deposit on the surface um, or form on the surface of the glaze. And she was one of the first that, that really sort of took hold of it, I think, you know, at least in, you know, Los Angeles and in the U.S. maybe. So how did you start making ceramics? How did I start making ceramics? Yeah, how did you get introduced to clay and... It was high school. My instructor liked to call himself a George Orr disciple. Um, if anyone knows, if you know George Orr, he's a crazy potter. Um, so he didn't let us do hand building. Um, he would only make let us make pots. So that was my that was my history. The hmm. first, the first thirty pots we made, we had to destroy for technical reasons. If Are you, you don't, okay if with you that? don't destroy the first thirty, you're going to keep a bunch of shitty ones, and then you're not going to learn. So, do you like, think he was right about that? I think he probably was. It's harsh as a as a sixteen year old that you don't want to keep anything for the first like month or two that you make these things. But yeah, so that's how it started. And that's then how it started, you had yeah. a spell of painting for a while, and now you're back into yeah. yeah. Hmm. So, um. This is obviously extremely technical on the one side. And now we, I mean, if you're a painter, you have so many other painters you can talk to about, like, oil paint. But do you have a lot of people around you that you can speak with? Do you have colleagues in the glazing world? Um, there's a few people I can kind of talk to. Um, you know, most people just, you know, focus on form. And, you know, ceramics is, is a three-dimensional three material. So I think, yeah, I think the glazing definitely kind of becomes secondary for most people. Um, but I think eventually people realize it, it is very important. You know, I mean, it's funny. I think some sort of like the most important like ceramic artists, you know, in LA, Kenneth Price didn't glaze. You know, he painted those things and they're really beautiful. And he was really fascinated with surface, but he found a way to do it that wasn't through glazing. So, which, you know, it makes sense, you know, he was part of the whole finish fetish, you know, history of in Los Angeles, but yeah, I, I mean, there's a few people I can talk to about it, but I, I think at this point I'm mostly kind of testing and just doing it in my own head. What's the most fascinating with glazing so far? You the spend most a lot of time with fascinating. them. I think, well, I've been interested in these surfaces that are very dramatic, um, you know, lava glazes and luster glazes are probably some of the most dramatic. There's, I think, yeah, for me, the third category would be actually these people that are that are making crystal glazes. They're called crystal glow growers, which is a whole other thing that I don't really know much about. I think uh, for luster stuff, it's it's um, when you get these like iridescent surfaces, it's kind of like it, it has that sort of like butterfly wing esque, you know, iridescence. Um, there's there's some like very natural-esque quality to it that's incredibly beautiful um but at the same time you know i also find interest in this like aspect that you know these things have been utilized in like kitchware you know for 100 years or whatever so it, it it's this weird shift in terms of luster glazes where it goes from like intense beauty like and then and then also repulsion because this thing it's it, it it loses all of its sort of like 
aura at a certain point and you just, you get repulsed. Um, yeah. Cause I think, you know, at some point, some of these things are like super intoxicating, but like what happens when you get too intoxicated, you know? Um, yeah. Nice. We're excited. Yeah. It's very exciting. Thank you so much for talking to me about this. Yeah, of course. It was yeah. great.